to have public statements and tweets made about the department, uh, about uh, our people in the department, our, our men and women here, about cases pending in the department, and about judges before whom we have cases, uh, make it impossible uh, for me to do my job and to assure the courts and the prosecutors in the, in the department uh, that we're doing our work with integrity. That's you trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with the hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo politics and news podcast. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. The clip you heard at the beginning of the show was United States Attorney General William Barr pretending he just wants to do his job fairly and without any intervention or influence from President Trump. It's a nice idea, but also an obvious lie. In fact, I'd argue that William Barr taking over as Attorney General was the final necessary step toward making America what it is today, a dictatorship. Remember checks and balances? Those were supposed to protect us from the Trump presidency turning America into an authoritarian hellscape. Does it feel like maybe that's not working? It sure does. And that's because at every step of the way, When Trump pushes the boundaries of acceptable presidential behavior, William Barr is there to tell the country why none of it is as unethical as the haters are making it out to be. In his brief time as attorney general, which is just barely over a year now, Barr has turned the Department of Justice into Trump's personal protection and retaliation department. If there was ever any doubt, the DOJ asserted themselves as exactly that, when they provided the shaky legal justification for the Trump administration's blockade of congressional subpoenas during the impeachment inquiry. That gave the Senate all the confidence they needed to block any witness testimony during the trial where Trump was ultimately acquitted. With that, we as a country turned a corner. We are a dictatorship now. We shot our shot with checks and balances, and we missed. Granted, there's still an election in November, So, in theory, we could end up living under it for less than a year. But does a normal politics-as-usual outcome to all of this still feel like the most likely outcome? Remember, after news of the acquittal came down, Trump once again tweeted that Time magazine cover meme that shows his presidency lasting until, like, 2050. Back in December, Mike Huckabee tweeted a joke about heading up Trump's 2024 re-election campaign on the grounds that the corrupt Russia investigation makes him eligible for a third term. Trump jokes about that same thing all the time. So what if he's not joking? What if he loses in 2020 and decides to act on all those jokes by challenging the election results? For the record, that's never happened in this country. We have never had a transfer of power 
that wasn't peaceful, which under Trump matters for no other reason than that it makes for an obvious next test of this country's commitment to still being a little bit of a democracy. He was questioning the results of the 2016 election before it even ended. And then he kept questioning those results even after he won. As recently as this month, he publicly endorsed a claim that he lost New Hampshire in 2016 because Democrats bust in a bunch of illegal voters from Massachusetts. He questions the legitimacy of an election he won. He will question the legitimacy of an election he loses. It is as simple as that. The man has been accused of crimes that he can only be tried for if he leaves office. He will never leave office. And then what? Who are we counting on to protect us? You think Republicans are going to grow a conscience in the face of their party taking power forever? Of course not. As I've said before, in a situation like that, at least historically, it's up to the military to intervene. But in a March 2019 article on TheIntercept.com, writer Mehdi Hassan deflates that bubble for me a little bit by pointing out that even then, there's no telling how the Secret Service would react in that situation. They are a disciplined bunch, and expecting them to quit their job with the legitimacy of an election still up in the air is a mighty big ask. By the way, you can find a link to that Intercept article, along with links to the litany of other sources for this episode, as always, on Unpops.com. Something else pointed out in that Intercept article, if Trump challenges the election results in 2020, we'll be lucky if we even have the mainstream media on our side. Like, Fox News is an obvious no. They'll rally the troops behind keeping Trump in office for sure. They've never pretended to be fair, except for how their motto is all about how fair they are. But what about the CNNs and MSNBCs of the world? Will they be outraged? Or will they bring on a parade of conservative legal experts to argue about why Trump might be right that the Russia investigation was corrupt and affords him a third term in office? Because there's no question that the legality of the Russia investigation is going to be a major talking point in this election. It hasn't captured much mainstream media attention yet, but way back in October, news broke that the Department of Justice's review of the Russia probe had become a criminal investigation. That's just one of the investigations William Barr and the DOJ have launched in response to the Russia investigation. Barr recently asked for an inquiry into the investigation of Michael Flynn. James Comey is under investigation over leaks that happened years ago. Trump supporters still chant lock her up at rallies, but now they've thrown Nancy Pelosi's name into that mix for no discernible reason at all. Someone is getting tried for something before this election happens. It's clear that in the Trump administration's view, there are two truths that emerged from the Russia investigation and the impeachment trial both. One, Trump did nothing wrong. And two, the Democrats did a whole lot wrong. And that's not to imply that everyone at the Department of Justice approves of what's happening. All four DOJ prosecutors in the Roger Stone case stepped down from that case after William Barr intervened to get Stone's sentence reduced. One of them resigned from the DOJ altogether. On top of that, another 1,100 former Department of Justice officials signed a letter calling for Barr to resign over the Stone case. 
1100 That's got to be everyone, right? That's got to be basically everyone who's alive and has ever worked at the Department of Justice. That's so many people. Here's a quote from their letter. Barr's actions in doing the president's personal bidding unfortunately speak louder than his words. Those actions and the damage they have done to the Department of Justice's reputation for integrity and the rule of law require Mr. Barr to resign. But he's not gonna. Who's gonna make him? Trump? Of course not. Even if they publicly bicker about tweets to keep up some semblance of fairness, for all intents and purposes, William Barr is Trump's enforcer. He protects him from harm and attacks his enemies. He got the job by promising to do just that, and he's been doing it since he got the job. Remember that summary of the Mueller report he tried to sell us? He's the guy who wrote that. The one that made it seem like Mueller found nothing incriminating at all, when he definitely did. William Barr faced zero consequences for that, and it basically amounted to lying to Congress, which is a crime. William Barr is in that job specifically to shield Trump and his administration from consequences. Like how apparently no one had a problem with Trump indulging in a little witness retaliation by firing not only Alexander Vindman for testifying against him in the impeachment trial, but also Yevgeny Vindman just for being Alexander's twin brother and also working in the White House. He also fired Gordon Sondland for testifying. Four different Republican senators implored Trump not to fire these people and just let them leave what is clearly now a very awkward situation on their own. But he ignored that advice because after all this, who can tell Trump anything? He has climbed to the very heights of presidential corruption and more than half the government was like, that's fine, we're just happy to be here. None of this is going to get better anytime soon. Trump does not work that way. He clearly feels emboldened to be bad by surviving impeachment. And those firings immediately after the trial ended prove it. Even worse, Trump's penchant for disposing of his enemies and using the Department of Justice to attack his critics has also been on full public display when it comes to immigration. Back in April of last year, Kirsten Nielsen resigned as Homeland Security Secretary at Trump's request after disagreeing with his plan to close all ports of entry in the United States and stop accepting asylum seekers altogether. She was replaced by Kevin McAleenan, who left his post as Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection to take over, and that lasted about six months. In October of last year, McAleenan made enemies among anti-immigration types and the Trump administration by pushing back against the idea of nationwide deportation raids. Shortly thereafter, he complained to the Washington Post about the, quote, tone, the message, the public face, and approach, end quote, of Trump's immigration policy. So he was ushered out next. Now, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security is some dude named Chad. Trump and his newly weaponized DOJ have also set their sights on cities and states that reject their immigration policy. California Governor Gavin Newsom is facing a DOJ lawsuit over a law that bans the operation of immigration detention facilities in his state. King County in Washington is being sued for barring mass deportation flights out of King County International Airport. 
The state of New Jersey is being sued over a law that prohibits local law enforcement from cooperating with ICE. In New York, one of the busiest travel hubs in the entire world, residents are currently barred from applying for global entry or any other program that allows for getting through airport lines quickly because the state passed a law last year that bars immigration authorities from accessing DMV databases. But the most alarming move in the Trump administration's war on immigration dissenters was announced last week. While speaking to a National Sheriff's Association conference, William Barr announced that the Justice Department would be reviewing the actions of local prosecutors and claim that some have engaged in charging foreign nationals with lesser offenses to shield them from deportation. Here's a quote. In pursuing their personal ambitions and misguided notions of equal justice, these district attorneys are systematically violating the rule of law and may even be unlawfully discriminating against American citizens. Unlawfully discriminating against American citizens. That means they're breaking the law, and that means maybe they could be prosecuted for it. That seems like a perfectly reasonable way for a president to deal with his opponents. And because what good are Gestapo tactics without a show of military force to go along with them, the New York Times reported on Valentine's Day that the Trump administration is deploying teams of tactical agents to sanctuary cities to work with ICE. The teams in question are called BORTAC, and they're basically the SWAT team of Border Patrol. They normally deal with high-risk operations like raiding cartel stash houses on the border, but from February through May, they'll be helping ICE deport grandmas with DUIs back to El Salvador. Conveniently, some of Trump's most vocal supporters have managed to spin the Roger Stone sentencing scandal and immigration both into a tale of Democrats wanting to arrest and imprison their political enemies. On his Valentine's Day monologue, Tucker Carlson used Roger Stone's nine-year sentence to draw comparisons to New York's law that bars local authorities from working with ICE and used all that to argue that Democrats only want justice when they're arresting their political opponents. Don't be surprised if you hear that exact argument used as the justification for Trump arresting a whole bunch of political opponents over the next few years. Maybe even the next few months. Either way, it's going to be a wild ride, America. Here's hoping things work out for the best in 2020. In the meantime, this was a pretty short episode, huh? Get back to your day. Use this unexpected free time wisely. Read a book, an entire book, something productive. As for me, I am done, as is this podcast. What podcast? Our podcast. Whose? Mine and yours. It's just me here. It's just you. We're doing this together. Do I have anything to plug right now? Yeah. I'll be announcing a bunch of tour dates soon, and we'll have a new way for you to subscribe to Unpop's podcast very soon. Announcing all of that, as you'd expect, very soon. Otherwise, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Adam Todd Brown, Todd with one D. And despite what anyone else might tell you, do stay very sad and worried about the state of American politics in 2020. This is not the time for burying your head in other pursuits in the name of self-care. There is an election coming. Be responsible, goddammit. Anyway, 
You're welcome for this upbeat way to kick off your work week, even though this podcast comes out on Tuesday. No one really works on Monday. You get it. All right. Goodbye, everybody. I love you.